good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or maybe good night. And I really cherish you all as podcast listeners. This is Jerry Fox, and the verdict is in. And we have been providing you really special guests, people who bring you knowledge straight from their own experiences in life. And they're interesting guests. And remember, we, I, suggest that you don't listen to the media or the news or corporations. I don't think they have your best interests at heart. That, you know, that you find people who are really intelligent, listen to them, and on a community level, begin to rise up, make your community stronger, think for yourselves. Anyhow, today I have another great guest, and I'm excited to have her here, uh, Ada Pia and Enrico. I think I have it close, and Ada is a really special person. You know, when we walk through life, we see people who are good souls. You meet them, you know them, and they brighten your day. Ada is one of those people. She is a principal and the vice president of strategy at Alpha Investing, which is a real estate private equity firm. It means it invests in real estate, which offers multifamily, senior housing, and affordable housing. CRE opportunities to its network of private capital investors. And that's important because that's you know housing for people who live in the inner city or the lower income neighborhoods. And we talk a lot about how you can't drive by it or past it. You've got to start to invest in it. She is a respected fintech entrepreneur and a real estate investment executive known for her role in launching the estate crowdfunding industry into the mainstream. And we all know about uh, crowdfunding and how huge that is. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And, you know, we're so lucky to have somebody who was there at the beginning of that. And also, she's sought for her expertise in entrepreneurship, leadership, and capital raising. She is passionate about empowerment from spiritual level to a financial level. Her book, Productive Intuition, Connecting to the Subtle, empowers you to integrate intuition with intellect and connect your own inner authority to create more meaningful opportunities, achievements, and results. And that is a lot. That's a person who is worth listening to that we have here and that we can all feel excited about. So, Ada, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jerry. It's just an honor to be on your show. Now, you have gone on a very interesting journey. So what I'd like to do is take the audience through the journey inspire them. We have people who are in the inner city. This is um, only audio, so they can listen. There's no subscription fee. It's a community service. What caused you to start to get into finance and specifically finance as it relates to multifamily, senior housing, affordable housing? What brought you to that position in life? I'll start by saying I chose a career in personal finance when I was 18. With the wisdom that I have now in my 40s, I recognize that even at that very young age, I understood the importance of financial empowerment and finances and personal finance as a way to be free and independent. There's a really sense of control in the world. And if you can control your finances, you are less controllable from the outside. That is my opinion. And when I was 18, I decided I'm going to go into this industry because that just feels like a good place for me to be to gain independence. And then, you know, I've had a 
career that spanned all kinds of industries. I worked in finance, I worked in insurance, I had hedge funds, private equity. And then I really realized I was an entrepreneur as well. So I've been on an entrepreneurial path since about 2008. And that path brought me into real estate crowdfunding in 2013, which is right around the time that it was starting to take shape. So in 2012, uh, President Obama signed the Jobs Act into law. So the Jumpstart Our Business and Services Act, which really provided more people with an opportunity to invest in uh, founders and startups. I mean, the idea was, what if you could invest in the next, next Facebook? Why would it? Why does it only have to be for you know institutional bankers or people in the know? And the first industry to really take off was real estate crowdfunding out of everything because true equity for crowdfunding wouldn't happen until 2016. And when I entered real estate crowdfunding as an, as an industry, I really felt like I really like I would say intuitively like visionary. I felt the potential to help more people create wealth. And it's a well-known anecdote and a fact that wealth is built through real estate. And so that was very exciting to me because I want more people to have that financial foundation. And when you invest in equity, like whether it's multifamily or senior housing or affordable housing and rentals, what have you, you're providing housing for people. And a lot of times these projects require some renovation. So you're also improving living conditions for people, especially on the affordable housing side. And I see it as a way, and a lot of people that I know who are in this industry, they understand, we understand that we can make a good return and we're doing good for the people that are going to be living there, especially senior housing and especially affordable housing. So this is really on the, it's called value add strategy, where you buy a building that already exists and you fix it up, you make it better. There's plenty of older buildings, 70s, 80s buildings that need some refresh that, you know, people want to live and they deserve to feel good about where they live and still allowing it to be affordable. I mean, we're not looking at like um, class A sky rise um, apartment buildings, we're looking at workforce housing. Yes. And maybe you could explain to the audience, because not everybody knows what crowdfunding is, maybe give them a little overview of how it started and what it means. Yeah. So in essence, crowdfunding, the idea behind crowdfunding as an investment, I mean, a lot of people have heard about Kickstarter, Indiegogo. That's where it all began. It began with this idea of if I'm a creator that I can basically offer my creations to strangers. Uh, and these strangers can basically give me some money in exchange for something. So that's how it started. And it was usually like, you know, we uh, launch a book or a t-shirt or a film project. It was a way to get funding and it was a way for people to feel involved and to support a creator. Now, when you take that into investing, what it means is that if you have an investment, if you're a founder of a company and you're getting started, you've had traditionally a pretty tough time of finding startup capital. And you would have to know the right angel investors or venture capital investors, or you start with your friends and family. And so now the world is open to you in essence, and you can raise capital and you're not just giving people a t-shirt, you're giving them shares. 
And that's exciting. And it creates innovation because the money helps the innovation come forward, right? I mean, we have to pay people salaries, we have to pay for technology, what have you. And so there's this boom in technology, there's this boom in innovation. And the same thing applies to real estate. So in real estate, we, we call these people operators. So they are the companies or the individuals that are responsible for identifying an asset, a building to purchase and running a business plan on that building, whether it's making some renovations, reducing expenses, maybe raising rents where it makes sense to raise rents and then selling it later for a profit. And this can all happen in, you know, usually they're called syndications in a three to five year time horizon. You get to passively participate. Like you're not buying, you're not doing anything really. You're investing in a share of this building essentially, and you're receiving rental income, you're receiving proceeds and profits, and they're quite lucrative in terms, relatively speaking, especially compared to stock market or bonds, and they're not as volatile. So suddenly this asset class that was only for the the ultra wealthy or people in the know, you know, country club, now suddenly is really available to everyone. And that's what crowdfunding did. It made it accessible to just about anybody. And that's really exciting. Yeah, when I was early, you know, I represented a lot of real estate funds and going back 20 years, 15 years, the way that you'd raise money is you'd have a some type of a private placement memorandum or something that's a, a lawyer's document that went on for pages with the plan, the business plan and the projections and you'd be um pitching to a series of investors, sophisticated investors. And it would all be uh legally documented and so the only question I have for crowdfunding is, what does the person on the other end get back in terms of a document that shows that they have an investment? Do they get an actual legal document back? Yeah, everything you stated. There's always a PPM. There's subscription agreements. There's a lot of legal work that still goes into crowdfunding because it's not, you know, it's still an investment. I mean, we're still regulated. It's still regulated or, you know, should be regulated. Maybe some early entrants didn't understand that, but it's definitely a private placement. It's regulated by Rule 506 and the Securities Act. So, That's a really important thing to know as an investor is that the legal structure, especially a separate, a separate legal structure, you know, every investment should have its own LLC. That's like foundational. Uh, If people don't have their legal ducks in a row, you know, I would definitely turn and walk away from that. Okay. Now you're an entrepreneur. You've used that word and it's near and dear to my heart because my mother walked into the world and became an entrepreneur on her own. And the one thing that all entrepreneurs understand is you have to have an appetite for risk. You have to be able to tolerate risk. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you chose to climb that mountain of entrepreneurship. What, who, who's your mentor? How did you deal with the risk that is inherent with being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I stumbled into being an entrepreneur. Actually, I didn't I mean, I didn't grow up thinking about it. I grew up, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I grew up thinking I I need to like get into corporate and I need to be a bank manager or a lawyer. You know, like I was, that was to me, the idea of success was, that was my idea of success. And I discovered I was an entrepreneur when I basically started a business with my sister. And a lot of factors kind of 
came into my life to make this happen. And this is when I essentially like left my very sought after and, and hard, you know, this career I worked really hard for in 2009. And so right at like right in the depths of the Great Recession, I started a business with my sister who's an artist. And this is where I really followed my intuition. I really felt strongly that this was something that I wanted to do with her. She's an artist. So I went into the world of licensing and which I didn't know anything about and like brand development. And just, we created this global brand with her art and merchandise and it was exhilarating and it was fun. And it felt like I had, and it was hard, right? I mean, like, it, it's not like you like made a bunch of money, <laughs> uh, especially not right away. But it was just something about it was empowering to be able to make my own decisions and try things. And let's see if this works and, and this other thing works. Now, I had a stable financial foundation at that point that allowed me to do that. So that was really important for me because I've also had other periods in my life where I didn't feel so financially stable. And honestly, that kind of tempered the creativity for me because I'd be too worried about it. And now I have to pay my mortgage. And I, if I can't pay my mortgage, then it really, you know, it, it caused my creativity a little bit to dwindle. Now that's a realization that I had about myself. So some people can just go right into the deep end and be totally okay. And some people can't. So I think if anyone is an entrepreneur thinking about being an entrepreneur, like know yourself, know what, what's important to you. Like to me, the financial stability is a value that's very important to me. And, you know, I think from the perspective of a mentor, I got to meet so many incredible people who... I feel like they just responded well to the enthusiasm or or just to like the vision that I had with my sister and people just came forward to help me. I didn't know anything about licensing. I, mean, I had no idea. I mean, I knew how to read a legal contract because of my business degree and I could figure some things out, but I really relied on really people's generosity of spirit, I think. And I forged some amazing relationships over the years. And that's the same thing in real estate. Like when I got started, I didn't have a background in real estate at all. I didn't know anything about real estate, but in an entrepreneurial space, in a creative space, everyone's figuring it out. And so in a way, there are a lot of people that want to help each other. And there's competition, of course, but really for any new industry to work, it requires everyone to succeed. And so you get you get into this creative groove where I feel like everyone's your mentor and you're mentoring everyone else. Yeah, that is so cool. You know, we our firm, we said I used to work at big law. I would only work with big corporations. And I set this firm up to lower its rates and to be flexible so we can work with not just big corporations, which we do, but small businesses. And I've gone through a period lately where I've represented a lot of small businesses and you know, a lot of them start in the kitchen or in the garage or somewhere, and there's this uh, excitement over a product or a service that you feel proud about. And then I circle back to when I was a kid, I like to read a lot. My dad would buy me fiction books if I read biographies. And the reason he wanted me to read biographies or autobiographies is that successful people are not people who always succeed. They're people who don't give up. And they have a lot of failures along the way. And so, you know, for the entrepreneurs out there, small businesses and independent businesses is the backbone of uh, this country. And uh, regardless of your race or your uh, sexual orientation, 
or your sex, you should be free to be empowered and go forward with an idea and grow your business and grow it in your community. Try to start there. Now, you're also, and this is really cool, you're a very spiritual person. Now, when I use that term, some people will think immediately of formal faith. And I had a grandmother who lived in 94 who was uh, Catholic, but when she talked about spirituality, it moved to a different plane. And it was about kind of self-awareness and awareness of your mind and your body and your ability to tune out the distractions of life and kind of get to a different place. And when I was around her, I felt very much at peace. There was an aura that circled her, that circled me when I was with her. So as I've walked through life, I've met people and I can instantly tell that they're spiritual because there's a peacefulness that it exudes from them, such as yourself. You're very spiritual. But that's just my experience. Maybe you can talk about your path to empowerment and spirituality. Yeah, thank well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that. My path to spirituality was really a, a finding myself. And I didn't grow up spiritual. I actually had in 2017, I had an awakening and it wasn't necessarily mystical. It was really practical where I had reached the pinnacle position of my career at that time, which was I was the COO of a fintech firm. So I had, you know, a fancy title and, you know, the the role and I was commuting to San Francisco from LA. And interestingly, like when I took that role, I had a feeling that, I was taking it for the wrong reasons. I was taking it to prove something to someone. And I don't really know who that person or they are. And something shifted or broke open. And I left that firm and I basically fell into, I call it a dark night of the ego where I didn't know who I was anymore because I couldn't succeed in a way. Like, after a 20 year career of basically always being able to accomplish what I set out to accomplish, I could always figure everything out. Nothing I did was working at all, nothing. Because I was using old methods to approach a brand new problem, (laughs) essentially. And so if I had approached my spiritual awakening as I approached entrepreneurship, I probably wouldn't have suffered so much, but I didn't. I approached it at something is wrong, something is wrong with me. In the seeking of, not what is wrong with me, but really I had to ask myself, who am I? Because I couldn't operate anymore. And so I felt like my identity, which I had really pegged to being a successful career person, that was not working. So in a way I was saying, who am I? And that took me on a really deep journey to find out that I am, and it sounds trite, but it was profound for me is I'm not my role. I'm not who I want people to think I am. I have this whole other world inside of me, which is based on my values that I never really went in and looked for. And in this process, I found my faith. And the irony is I didn't know I didn't have it. I didn't know that I actually didn't believe in anything outside of me supporting me. And so it was like I literally was taking on the world on my own, which is a lot of work. And it's heavy. It's heavy to think like I'm not supported by anyone. Like my independence went all the way through to the universe. I was like, it's me. (laughs) It's just me. And when I realized that it's not just me, when I realized that there is 
a vastness to everything, then I started to feel supported and little miracles, I think would start to happen in my life. I'll call them miracles, like meeting my current business partners who, you know, they asked me to be a partner in their firm out of the blue for me because I, you know, I I knew them, but I wasn't expecting it. This is when I was at my darkest, darkest moment where I thought I will never be able to work again. I'm useless. How am I going to survive? I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my marriage, you know, all these things. And then I get this phone call. And I started to realize that there's a support system out there. And that led me to search more and more and more deeper and deeper and deeper into myself and to find and feel a connection to something far greater than my mind. And that continues to drive me. And I find that space in my heart I find that space in the stillness. I meditate a lot. Uh, I have a contemplative practice. And I realize that it doesn't matter what I do because I'm in private equity now. I'm investing. I'm doing all these things that I've always wanted to do. And yet I don't feel like I'm controlled by a system or by what, you know, that, that idea of they, who are they that want me to be a certain way. I get to be me. And the more I'm me, the more authentic I am, the more effective I am. And there's this response from life that's so different from the anxiety ridden thoughts. And you mentioned the beginning, like, you know, media and corporations, and there needs to be very strong discernment around what is mine? What do I want versus what am I being told I should want? That's a massive difference, massive difference. You know, I think it's really important what you're saying to everyone in the audience here listening. We all grow up with the image of who we should be. It might be our parents. Absolutely is the media. Television shows you watch. It is corporations, what you should eat. And it is politicians who will tell you how you should act or how you should view other people or you know, what is success. And you know, the most important thing you can do and I'm sharing this with you, Ada, is walk outside and see a flower in a garden and watch a butterfly come up to it. Watch that. Look at that. Look at how beautiful the flower is. Watch the butterfly. You must realize that IBM and Amazon and none of no corporation made that. You may not know in your lifetime who made that or what force made that, but they also made you. And your whole body, and a system, and a planet within a galaxy. That's pretty overpowering. Well, unbelievable. And you're tied into all of it. You are a part of it. When you realize that, you know, you, you become very small, but you become very important in being a piece of the chain of life. And then all of a sudden, you start to define yourself in other ways that become very important when you start to realize you're part of what was created as an integral combined set of living organisms. And therefore, you become compassionate. You become more self-aware. You listen better. And you're less afraid of things that can go wrong. 
So your spiritual journey is huge and, you know, it, it continues, it continues, it really does continue. And it's amazing how many people are out there who are being some model of what they think they should be instead of coming inward. Um, I, you know, for me personally, it, uh, I have found, you know, I started out in big law, excelled, tried cases earlier than most lawyers, won big cases, live mostly in New York and L.A., huge cement cities, you know, powerful cities. And I, and I love them. You know, they've been very good to me. But I find myself now more and more pining for nature, getting away from the things of man. There's this very, very weird cult movie called Joe versus the Volcano. And there's a gentleman who thinks he has brain fog. And really what he needs to do is get out of this factory where the lights are flickering over him and into nature. So I applaud you. Now, your book, Productive Intuition and Connecting to the Subtle, tell, tell us about that. How can people get your book? Let's start there because I know people are going to just fall in love with you and your story and want to buy your book. So how can they get your book? So the book is on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's really where you would, you know, wherever you feel comfortable buying a book. And I have a website called Productive Intuition where you can learn a little bit more about it. So that's where you can get it. And I appreciate the opportunity for people to learn about it because that book actually came from my awakening. It came because I was this business person. I identified as a business person and I didn't know who to talk to. I was falling apart, right? I was falling apart. I was like, who am I? I don't know. And I, I certainly didn't feel like I could talk to people in my business community because they would, you know, I thought they would think I was crazy or, you know, who wants to talk to somebody who's in, I was self, so self-judgmental. Let's start there. Regardless, I went into the spiritual world to find answers because I, I really didn't know what else to do. And all of those answers that I found led me to understand that just because I was having this awakening and I was really understanding the truth about life, like you said, this connection, this deeper connection to all things and my role in this world, that I didn't have to abdicate my material life. Like a lot of people think, oh, you wake up, you have to go be a yoga teacher or a monk or, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about that because the truth is everyone's waking up. And everyone, most people, a lot of people still need to live in their life, right? And so I realized that there was this part of me that I talk about as intuition, as transcendent intelligence that was always guiding me. And when I recognized that, I recognized that it was still guiding me to be in business and to show up in this way that I now show up in a world that most people would not associate with spirituality, but it's not about labels. And so I, I wrote this book almost for me. I needed this book when I was waking up and it shows my goal with the book was to show people that you have so much more than just your mind intelligence, right? Like the mental left brain intelligence that we associate with anything. And that, especially from the perspective of work, being having been an entrepreneur for a really long time, um, discovering how creative I am, that productivity in the linear sense is not all of it. Productivity comes from stillness. Productivity comes from going inside. It comes from being in a space of no mind that we get to redefine everything. And so productive intuition is for you to understand the depth of yourself 
And also to understand that you can show up as 100% of who you are with all your faculties, intuitive, intelligent, your heart, your soul, your brain, all of it. You can show up every day as you wish and you can be successful no matter what you do. And so that's really like the nexus of the book is I want to empower people to understand how powerful they are and they need to tune into themselves to find that power. Now, we have had great guests here who have talked about people deserving a better life and treating themselves better. And their approach to a better life is to inform people about nutrition and balanced way of eating. Again, moves away from corporate advertising and products that will addict you to sugar and salt. For those of you who don't know it, the tobacco companies bought labs. And when convenience foods were first coming out, they experimented for decades to figure out how to addict you, not to cigarettes, but to convenience products that had sugar and salt that would kill you just as quickly. So there are people who are on, but on the show who have talked about nutrition and empowering yourself to eat better, but you actually have, and one of them their wife had an immune disorder. She was going to die in three years and he talked to every nutritionist he could and, and she, her whole condition went into remission. It's a powerful story and his name's Jeff Nelson and he started his movement over his wife's illness and now it's grown into this whole uh, way of eating and living and goes into the inner city and helps people. But you, I understand, were able to and are able to deal with I don't know if you want to talk about it openly, but, you know, an immune disorder through your own mind, your own spirit. Is that, you want to share, share that with the audience? Uh, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the body because in my book, I actually express through the words of wisdom that, you know, the wisdom of the mind, the wisdom of emotions, the wisdom of the body, the wisdom of spirit and the wisdom of the heart, because our intuition and our our higher, deeper, authentic self is all of those things. We just need to tune into it. The body, our body is a transponder. It is a receiver. How we treat our body is fundamental to how we experience life. And in a lot of ways, the body is a, is a metaphor. Now, the body processes what is going on in our lives and will take and protect itself and protect the soul within it. So it's our duty to take care of this body that is taking care of us. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 16. And when, so this is just about seven months ago. So I hadn't had a flare of Crohn's. I was really fortunate. I really took care of my body once I discovered what Crohn's was through naturopathic treatments, stress management, and just also with my will, willpower. I will not be sick. I will not be controlled by this thing, but I, you know, but I will recognize that it's there and I need to take care of it. That said, it can come back. And just this past December of 2020, I had an extremely severe flare. It was so severe. I thought maybe I had lupus or leukemia because it wasn't just my intestines that were flared up. It was my whole body. Like I was, I, I actually couldn't move my upper body. Uh, I couldn't walk. I mean, it was honestly, like I really didn't know what was going on because it hit so hard and so fast. And I had never experienced this level of inflammation. It, it just completely took me over for about eight weeks. And 
you know, the very first thing that I did is I ate. So I eliminated, basically I listened to my body. My body would not eat certain things. So the body knows what it needs and wants. So it's like intuitive eating, but it was so apparent to me. Like I could only eat bananas and boiled rice and maybe some stewed apples sometimes a little bit of that. That's literally what I could eat for a few weeks until I figured out what, what, you know, what was going on. And my body was in so much pain that I I would be passed out most days. I couldn't sleep at night because it couldn't regulate temperature. I mean, it was so bad. And I had to come to terms with this thought that what if I'm never going to be as healthy as I was before? Cause I'm pretty athletic. I, I really sat with that for a really long time and, and because I couldn't function, I, I could barely move my hands. I could not function. So all I could do was be with my body and be with this pain and sit with it and try to understand who am I, if I am not my functional form. So it was almost like I was eight weeks of a meditative altered state as I was going through this while my body processed what it was processing. And on the day after I had a colonoscopy, which basically the doctor with very wide, scared eyes said, I'm actually really worried about you. First of all, you need to eat because I had lost so much weight. I was like skeletal. And she said, and I've never seen an intestine in such bad shape. So you should be prepared. You should be prepared that we have to cut the whole thing out. And you're going to need an ostomy. And so I I sat with that all night coming back from the hospital and, you know, I processed it. It was upsetting. And the next morning, you know, I would say this, I think I came to terms with it. I think I really came mentally. I came to terms with it and I said, okay, so if this has to happen, I will be okay because I'm always going to be okay. And I know this about myself. It's such a deep knowing I'm always going to be okay. Like other people can live with it. I'll live with it. I will figure it out. And I remember I was, you know, I was getting out of bed on the morning of the next day and I kind of heard a voice and I thought to myself, I should strip the bed. You know, somebody needs to wash the bed sheets. Now I hadn't been able to even like make my own food for two months. And I heard a voice say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're, you're too weak for that. And I, and I stopped in my tracks and I reflected on that voice. And the thing about me is if somebody tells me I can't do something, you better believe I can. And it's a voice inside of me that knows what I need to move forward. And I don't know what I did because it's not like a formula, but with a very definite thought, I said, I will not be sick and weak. And I stripped the bed as challenging as it was for me, because I could barely use my fingers. And I walked those bed sheets, which felt like a ton to the washer. And from that moment, I made a V-shaped recovery, literally, literally. I mean, it is a miracle of miracles. And some in spiritual community would say I called in the medicine Buddha. And I don't, all I did was I said, F this, I'm not going to be sick and weak. And everything aligned to my intention. And I took a physical action to prove that I meant what I said, not just words, not just a thought. And that was the beginning. That was the turning point. And I've made such an incredible recovery that my doctor said, I don't know what you are. 
this is the alignment when we understand and believe that there is a force greater than just a thought, just what we think we are. I learned so much about the support and the love and in a way, the lack of independence, which has always been my trademark, I'm independent, but I had to rely on my husband to take care of me. I had to rely on doctors. I had to rely on people to take care of me. And it was very humbling. And it was very humbling to understand that I'm alive and I'm here and I still have free will as to how my life is going to go down. And I am on a biologic. I'm on Remicade. Okay. I'm not, I'm not anti-Western medicine and the biologic is working very well for my body. And I, I take soil-based probiotics. I'm very careful about what I eat because it's not like I can magically think my way out of having an autoimmune disorder. I have to take care of it. So it's two things, right? It's this faith and knowing, and it's the practical of using the tools that are available to me physically and in a non-physical sense to continue to be healthy and well and energized and vital because I am here for a greater purpose. And I go through, we go through things, but I'm not going to let those things define me. You know, I'm not going to let that define me. It's not who I am. I'm not, oh, Adipia with Crohn's disease. I'm Adipia, but I have to take care of myself. That's it. That's a very powerful story. And one that, you know, people who are listening really need to take in. And, you know, it's because you went on your spiritual journey into yourself and your mind and your spirit. Human beings create a huge amount of their conditions that they experience in life in a very self-destructive way in their mind because they're in conflict with their spirit and their existence on this planet. And things like anger and insecurity and self-loathing, all of those things are self-destructive. And you need to really move to a place where you really understand how beautiful it is that you're alive and who you are, and all the things that you can do, and keep learning what you can do to help others and help yourself. And you can control not everything, but you can control a lot of the journey, a lot more than people think. That's really important, and I'm really proud of you, by the way, because, you know, a strong person can support many people around them, and it's easy to give in to weakness. Weakness is self-doubt and anger and loathing and hatred. I mean, those are just, you know, those are things that you know intuitively are bad for you as a person. And giving up is never the end. Okay, my brother, Ted, Ted, if you're listening, I love you to death, he was diagnosed with ALS year and a half ago. And uh, I went down to see him in New Orleans. He has the most amazing attitude about his condition, which he can't reverse. Can't think through it. He can just live longer. But he said to me, because we like to hike, we're a hiking family. So everything becomes an analogy about a hike. And one time we went on a hike and we got separated and he got really badly lost. And we had to compare notes when the hike was over and he saw a bear and he saw bear cubs, and he saw a river, and he saw things that I didn't see because I was on this standard hike that didn't have bears and very scary things. And um, he said, this is just like hiking. When I'm in this wheelchair and I'm on oxygen and I'm on dependent on other people, 
I see human beings around me in their lives so much more fully because I'm not caught up in, you know, me. I'm looking and listening and taking in everyone around me. And I'm seeing things on this hike, Jerry, that you may never see in your life. And they're very special to me. And he's got a great attitude. And he's lifting up everyone else around him. And if you can live your life that way, then you don't really need, and I want the audience to listen to this, if you can love yourself and understand that you're part of nature around you, you don't need drugs, you don't need mind-altering substances, you don't need to hate yourself, and you don't need to hate other people, and you don't need to be angry, you can forgive people. Because you're going to realize that, you know, everyone's beautiful. We're all beautifully broken. Because we are broken in some ways, but not in a, in a way that's ugly or to be shameful about. I mean, we're human beings. We're naturally frail. We don't control the planet and how it revolves around the sun. We don't do that. We didn't create the flowers or the butterflies. We've messed a lot of this up as a collective group. and. There are many of us now moving away from that, thank God. But we are beautiful in our own state. We don't have to show up as somebody else's vision of ourselves. And certainly not a corporation. All of you young women out there, it is not important that you get likes, that everybody liked the way you look or that you look the way somebody who's altered their own looks looks. You're beautiful the way you are. And if you can wake up in the morning and say, I'm beautiful the way I am, then life takes on a great, you know, and, and then, then go out and see nature, and go out and, and, and see people, and see the beauty in everyone that you are around. And you, you're an amazing guest. I've been so excited to have you on, because, and when I say this, people who are out there who know this, look, there are spiritual, there are people who are going further on this journey. Again, using a hiking analogy, if you get lost on the trail, someone's coming down, you'll ask them. I'm a little lost. Where can I hook up with, you know, the main trail that, and those people have seen more of the trail. Ada has seen more of life, more of what's around us. And she's sharing that with you. And you could be a super successful executive who hates their job, or you could be of someone who's got a, an immune disorder, who's afraid of it. You could be a person who, because of the pandemic, has just given up life and is just afraid. Or you could be a person who forever and forever has never slowed down and looked at a flower and realized you don't know who made that. But it's beautiful. Beautiful. And then say to yourself, I'm beautiful too. Because somebody made me. And I'm beautiful. Please read it is book. And by the way, we haven't even mentioned this, besides the fact she's a successful woman, cheers to that, she's from Canada. She immigrated here, and now we're blessed to have her here. So for those of you who get down on immigration, remember that everyone who comes across that border is a beautiful soul, and they have all the potential to help the people around them. We're all on one planet, spinning around the sun. And I can't thank you enough for being on this uh, podcast and I really hope some people have their lives changed by your message. 
Well, thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to share my story. And if people are inspired, then I can't ask for anything more. You know, I, I've, I've given up the idea that like my purpose is about my job. And that's one of the best things I ever gave up because my purpose is, is simply to understand who I am and in some small way, help others wake that up in them to see what who they are. Like you said, this brokenness, this fragmentation is, we're just trying to come home to ourselves. And I can tell you that when you do, that everything you thought you wanted, the things that matter will be there for you in such a way that you never thought was possible. How am I so successful and I'm not burnt out? Like how, you know, it's the most amazing, subtle, yet very manifest experience. And I want everyone to feel the way that I do. I want everyone to feel that they have a sense of connection to something greater than themselves. You are supported and you are meant to break out of your conditioning because that conditioning is like the acorn that holds an oak tree. That's got to open up for your oak tree, for the little seedling to grow into the mighty oak. We're all mighty oaks. And so whatever you're going through is actually your superpower when you see it as such. And I really hope that everyone can feel that within themselves is the most beautiful, most beautiful thing. It's I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful to be alive. I can't even tell you and grateful to be here. Thank you, Jerry. No, thank you. And what a blessing for everyone. For anyone who feels alone, you're not alone. You're connected to all of us. For anyone who doesn't feel loved, understand that I have love for you, even though I don't know you because you're part of this great world. For anyone who feels that they're not accepted, understand that the acceptance, the only acceptance that's important is within yourself. If you accept yourself, you're good. Don't worry about what other people have to say because, you know, that means they're, they're not enlightened. And someday you pray for them to get there. Anyhow, fantastic. Everyone have a good day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.